Christmas is all about Jesus. Communion is all about Jesus. It's to take our minds and take it back to what he did and why. I've started off this series on worship because that's what the Christmas season is all about. It's about worship. Sometimes we make it about everything else. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1 and hold your finger there to the end of my message. The only way that I can teach Revelation chapter 1 of understanding of your purpose and calling in life and the purpose and the calling of worship is to give you a history lesson through the Bible. I, sometimes you hear something like that and you think we're going to be here a very long time. But I promise you that this would not make sense unless we started back at the beginning of time and understand our purpose. I have said many times that people have more anxiety and problems today than ever before. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people have lost their purpose. Why am I here? What am I here for? Where do I find joy? What gives me satisfaction? We say a lot of times that it comes through making disciples and all that stuff. But I think that's the, the product of what I'm talking about today. See, if you were created for a specific purpose then you don't, and you don't accomplish the purpose, then you don't feel satisfied ever in your life. The same way that a fish was created by God to swim. You, t- you take a fish out of water and it loses its purpose. The eagle was created by God to soar. You take and clip its wings and it, it can't do anything. Everything that we see in the Bible that God created, he created specifically for a purpose. The same thing in Revelation chapter 1. God describes for us our purpose. This history lesson takes us all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. I will put these verses on the screen so that you can follow it because literally we're going to go all the way through the Bible. And then we'll sit there and park in Revelation and understand what he was saying In the beginning, and I have taught this before many, many times, God created everything. The word God is Elohim. It was distant God. After he was done speaking things into existence, God reached out with his hands and he formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. The name goes from God to Jehovah, or capital L-O-R-D, which was the personal connection between God and man. Not distant, but personal, not speaking, but hands-on, not just saying it to make it into existence, but the actual presence of God with man. God walked with man in the garden. Man fell. God went looking for man to restore him, to pick him up, to cover him with the sacrifice. Again, the name Lord is used for personal. God sought out man. But then there was a separation from the very beginning of time. The separation was that man had to leave the garden. And sometimes we just look through that, we overlook that. But there was a separation. There was an angel set at the gate of the garden that man could not enter back in. There was a separation from the fellowship of God from man. We go further into the Bible and we find that Joseph's family at the end of Genesis was moved to Egypt. We know the story of Joseph being betrayed by his brothers We find them in bondage. God raises up Moses. God tells him his intent. We often think, and this is part of the problem even at Christmas, is we just, we leave off the rest of the story of what God did, what his intent, what his desire. We say, God with us. Amen. Why? 
We sit there and say, hey, he's here. Great. Why? Why, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why is Emmanuel, God with us, so important? You see, God did more to come to, than just to set us free. That part is true. We look at the story of Egypt and how God set them free. And we say, God released them from the bondage. And God released them from Pharaoh. And God saved them from their captives. Amen. Why? We have to ask the question, why? And in Exodus 6-3, when God was talking to Moses, and he said, I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob, the ones at the beginning, by the name of God Almighty, but by the name Jehovah. Do you see? He switches. He says, I was not known to them. He says, there is a distance between me and them because their world is filled with idolatry. It's filled with bondage. We have no connection. They look at me as God from a distance, but not up close. There's a division. They don't know me personally. Think of what he says. They don't know me. The desire of God is that his people know him. It wasn't just about they're in bondage and I need to set them free. Praise God for that part. But God says my goal, my desire is that they know me. In the following verses, God says that he will set them free so that they can know him. Freedom that God gives is not just to set us free from bondage, but to bring us closer to God. Remember the story of Christmas and the story of Easter is not just to set you free, but to bring you closer to God. Watch why God sends Moses to set them free. Moses goes before the children of Israel. They're in bondage before he goes to Pharaoh and he tells them their intent. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord, personal God, had visited the children of Israel. And then he looked upon their affliction. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped. You see, that's, God says, that's why I'm here. That's what I desire. That is my purpose. When Moses goes before Pharaoh for the first time in Exodus chapter 5... You sit there and say, let my people go. That wasn't the first request. Can I bring you back what the first request? Let me take the people into the wilderness for three days to do what? Worship. Let us go make sacrifice. Let us come out from among you guys and go worship. And then Pharaoh comes back and says, well, if you have time to go worship your God, then you have time to work harder. And he brought down the affliction more. Things happen. Ten plagues. God breaks Pharaoh. God sets them free. The, the, the parting of the Red Sea. God swallows up their enemies. So what does God have them do on their journey from bondage to the promised land? Let me ask you guys, what does God have for us to do from the journey to the promised land? What does God have us to do from the cross to heaven? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Exodus 19, verse 5. Now therefore... If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Do you see what God is establishing his kingdom, his power, his authority? I didn't save you so you could run off and do your own thing. I saved you for me. I am your God. Do you see that? Do you acknowledge that as my people? You remember, all of our study of worship is seeing God for who he is, respecting God for who he is, bowing myself to who he is. God is saying that all the way back here. He shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a set-aside people, a people for God, a people with a purpose to worship God. He said it unto me. This was the desire of God. It was personal. I want them with me. That was the entire thing that he said from there. Now we can get all caught up in what they do, but remember the original intent of what God was saying. He went to Moses and he said, what I'm about to tell you, what I want, is so that they will be with me. You say that's selfish. No, that's love. At this Christmas season, you know what I want more than anything? And I'll tell you, this is one of my most favorite, or two of my most favorite days out of the year is Thanksgiving and Christmas. Because we don't leave the house. We shut the door. We turn off our phones. And all it is is my wife and my kids, and we're together morning till night, and that's a rarity. Do you understand what God wants so much from us as his kids? And you say, that's so selfish. No, he loves you. He wants you. Eliminate distractions. Sit down and put your attention on God. It wasn't selfish. You see, the priest that he said, I'm going to establish you, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you different, peculiar, treasure. You know what the word treasure is? It's something special. God says, I got something special for you. I'm going to make you priest. Priest is the liberty of coming near to God. That's what a priest was. You know the history of the priest? You said, what is their job? Their job was to go before God. These are the words, he says at the end of verse 6. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Speak unto who? My people. So wait a minute. The, the Levites were the priests. You realize the desire of God was all of them to come near to God? You see, God is a jealous God. I need to establish something right here. Because we're talking about a relationship, and because we're talking about God, God sits there and says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know what that means? No one should ever get more attention in your life than God. Never. You say, well, I would never do that. None of us would ever say that. None of us would ever sit there and say, I have, some, I have a few things in my life that I put before God. God says, your actions speak louder than your words. It's not so much about what you say, it's what you do. Can I prove the point here with what God was saying in the very time that he was saying this in this passage? He said in verse 5, I'll go back to that. He says, now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. Do you know what that is? That's worship. You say, no worship is this. God says, no, stop. It's in your heart. When you choose God above everything else, that is true worship. It's not saying, I love you. The same way of going to your spouse and saying, babe, I love you. And then you go out and cheat. That's not love. So why is that not love? Because you put something else first. God brings Moses to the mountain to establish some boundaries. He gives them the Ten Commandments. While Moses was up meeting with God, the people turned and began to follow their own gods. They began to do what they wanted to do instead of what he wanted them to do. They built up the golden calf. They sacrificed into the golden calf. You know how the golden calf existed? Because they gave of them money, their treasures, their earrings, and their gold to melt it down, to build something else to cast their attention on. You want to know what's wrong with America? That's it. We have built up a golden calf in our nation where we worship the wrong thing. You say, what do you worship? What you give to. What gets your attention? 
the fact that we have people that can't go to church because they can't get out of bed or they can't turn down this or they're consumed with this and that. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get down for thy people which broughtest thou out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. Do you know what that means? It was not in their hearts. Remember, that's where worship starts. They had no desire for God. He quickly went away. Where's Moses? All right, let's do our own thing. And out of the way which I commanded them, there was no submission. They made them a molten calf and have worshiped it and have sacrificed unto it and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Do you remember what we said when we were studying this before? When God talked about stiff-necked, it was those people that refused to bow. They stood up saying, I don't care what God says. I will do my own thing. I don't care what God says. This makes more sense to me. I don't care what God says. This is what I want to do. You see, you can't truly worship God when you're not willing to submit and making him everything. Chapter 32, verse 26, And Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves unto him. You know who responded? The Levites. Do you know who the Levites were? They were the priests. They were the ones that in their hearts said, we want fellowship with God. We want to go before God. We put God first. They loved God. They desired God. They put their affection on God. They submitted to God. They obeyed God. God established them as the tribe that would be the worshipers. You say, why? We read why. We are answering the question through this message today, why does God want us to worship? What is the whole reason for this? See, in Exodus 25, verse 8, God begins to put them into their purpose. He says, you are now the worshipers. You are now the title. You're a follower of me. You put me first. Let's give you a job. This is your purpose in life. This is what you do. And he said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That shouldn't surprise us. In the middle of all their, 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 their life, God says, I want to be smack in the middle of my people. Do you know what God said the reason was? It wasn't that I can rule over you. It wasn't that I... He said, I want to be with you. That's what he said. Make me a tabernacle that I could be among them. They assembled it in the middle of the 12 tribes. They would literally put up this tent and gather them around them. Now you got to understand, and you're saying, man, why are you going through all this? I promise you it will make sense. See, the tabernacle had this courtyard. The courtyard was the outer part of this. It consisted of like a tent-like structure. They would put this up. They would travel with this. It was 150 feet by 75 feet. It was gigantic. The whole compound was completely surrounding this thing. But once again, there was a wall up. The children of Israel, the outside, not the, everybody else in the world, they could walk up to the wall, but that is close as they could get. They could not get beyond the wall. Inside was the tabernacle. It was also a tent. It was divided into two parts. One was the tabernacle and one was the holy place or the holy of holies. It was 45 by 15. In the courtyard, when they walked into the courtyard, there was a brazen altar. This brazen altar was a constant reminder. Now, you've got to understand everything you say. Why did God put them through this? It was a lesson. It was a picture. It was a visual. 
You understand why we do this? It's a lesson. It's a visual. It's a picture. Do you know why we have the cross? It's a lesson. It's a visual. It's an illustration. Have you ever tried to explain something to somebody before? You say, I'm not understanding. Give me a piece of paper. And then you begin to try to be an artist and draw it out. And, you know, you do that. We, we do that all the time. I'll be in staff meeting and I'll have to jump up and say to the whiteboard. And I'll, I'll start. We're, we're visual people. You understand why we have the manger. The manger is a visual where God said, I want to be with you. It's a visual. The entire tabernacle of the Old Testament was a visual. It was God saying, sit down, let me draw this out so you understand. You see, the wages of sin is death. They would disobey God. The priest would take an animal before they could ever enter into side the, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, and they would take an animal, and the ceremony that they would do was symbolizing them putting their sins on the substitute. They would take the substitute animal, and they would take the life of that animal, and that animal would die. You say, why? Because the wages of sin is death. But God loved us so much that he offered a substitute. They would go from there and they would have a basin for washing their hands. Before they could enter into the holy place, they had to make themselves clean to remove the dirt from their life. It was symbolic, cleansing themselves before they could walk into the presence of God to commune in fellowship. Let me tell you, oftentimes, the reason why we don't have worship, true worship in a church service, because we walk in with dirty hands and a dirty heart. We're in the world so much, and then we sit there and walk in. You would never do that at your table at home. And God says, stop before you do there. Reflect on your life. I've set you free from sin. Are you living with sin? Wash your hands. James talks about this as well. When you walked inside the tabernacle, there was a lampstand. It was elevated with seven oil lamps, high enough to eliminate the entire holy place. That represents so much, and I did a whole sermon series years ago on that. I don't have time to get on all that. But it was the light of the world as Jesus Christ is the light. And then there was something that was odd. There's an altar of incense that stands or sits in front of the veil that was there. Now, there was a veil or a curtain, 15 by 15, that would separate the priests on a daily schedule of being able to worship or fellowship or go before God, and they would not be able to go beyond that wall. But they would light incense, and that incense would fill that area, and that incense would go beyond that curtain and fill that spot with an aroma that would fill the place. It was the altar of incense. But then we get to an item that's really weird. It's the table of showbread, or some say the table of showbread. It's spelled different ways in the Bible. It, was, it represented a number of things. It was the bread of his presence, literally de defined as or the bread before his face. The priest would enter into the room, lit up, the incense going up. In that room, separated where the presence of God would be, and they would eat. Is that weird? You know, all the other gods of the false religions would have temples and things and it was all sacrifice and death. Sacrifice their kids. All the things that they would do. But God created a table in the middle of the place that he wanted set aside to be with them. And they would eat. And the loaves 
when the bread represented the 12 tribes of Israel, then they would bake them again, bring them in, and they would worship by grabbing bread and eating it. The lamp and the incense going up and a wall before them. The main part of this was the Holy of Holies. The priests were never allowed to go on the other side except once a year when the high priest would go beyond the veil. And it was so strict of what they were able to do that if, if he messed up, he would die in the presence of God. And it's not so much that we have this God that hates us or this God. It's an idea of understanding that we can't. We're not good enough to go beyond that wall. We are not good enough. And it's not so much the evil of God. or It's a matter of the closer you get to the sun, the more you realize the power of it that it would consume you because of how insignificant we are compared to the power of the sun. And they would kill an animal on that day. And the high priest, who was the only one that could do it, would go beyond the veil and he would bow down before that Ark of the Covenant. Here's the crazy thing. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, but the Ark of the Covenant represented us. You say, no, no, it didn't. It did. You see, inside that Ark of the Covenant was three items. It was the budded rod of Aaron that represented the time that they doubted God. It was the Ten Commandments that represented us falling short. And it was the manna that they compared about that represented the provision of God. Uh, what are weird items to keep inside the Ark of the Covenant? They weren't even allowed to touch it. But they were inside the ark that represented God. And inside that part, they would see it because the Shekinah of glory of God would shine down from heaven and beam. And we don't even know what this looks like. We just know that it would shine. The Shekinah glory of God would shine on that. But the lid was the lid of atonement. It had these cherubims that would worship above it with their wings blocking their eyes. And that, that high priest would go in there with blood and go beyond that curtain. And he would drip the blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant, representing the sins of man that had to cover the death was the blood, and it had to cover the sins of man. Weird. Odd. It's worship. Man was separated from God. And the veil continued to separate them from the presence of God. Why all this? God was always teaching us who he was and what he wanted. It's a visual. It's a visual. He gives us visuals. We say the tabernacle was a picture of worship. Every time we see that tabernacle, every time we see this, you have to understand that God says, that's what I want. And we sit there and say, that's what you want? All of that from the beginning of the Bible, of fellowship with Lord Jehovah, all the way till now, that's what you want? Yes. That's what he wants. Say, so I, I don't get that. Well, we didn't get that. They didn't get that. It was God wanting to be with us, but sin was in the way.
God can never water down the fact that you are a sinner and then we fall short and then we're messed up. So God would say, come in, but I can't you get you too close because you're a sinner and because I am holy and you can only come to me holy so you cannot get too close. And then God gave us another picture. The picture was the manger. The manger was God saying, hey, I want to be with you. Not just on Sunday, because they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Literally in spirit, I want to be everywhere in your life. Not a tabernacle, not a location. I don't want you visiting me on the weekends. I don't want shared parenting when it comes to my relationship. I want all of you all the time. And Mary has Emmanuel the desire of God, and here she is going everywhere with God. Everywhere. God was saying, do you get the picture? Do you know what I want? As he grew up and he sat at the table. As they grew up and they went to parties. As Mary would cry and she'd run, little Jesus would run up and wrap her arms around and kiss mommy. Mommy, are you okay? That was a picture of what God wanted. The tabernacle is a picture of what God wanted. The cross is a picture of what God wanted. See, God didn't want that. He wanted you. There was a wall that stood in the way. There was sin that stood in the way. And God said, I'm going to take the wall out of the way. Because it's like I told you with my son, I want to be in your life. I want to be held by you. I want to be loved by you. I want to be kissed by you. I want to be adored by you. I want fellowship with you. I want to come to your table. I don't want to be visited. I don't want to be added onto your life. I don't want to be an afterthought at your Christmas. I want in your life is what God was saying. The cross was a picture of the love of God. Because the love of God is what took to bring the blood of Jesus Christ, to restore the fellowship that he wanted from the very beginning. God desires for us to worship and come together. You say, what happened? You see, it all made sense on the cross because in Mark 15, 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Why did he die? And the veil of the temple was rent and half rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Do you know why it was rent from the top to the bottom? Because man did not do it, our God did it. No more separation. And God said, it is finished. Jesus said, it is finished. And God said, thank you, son. And he ripped the division apart that separated us from God. Say, so how is that possible? Oh, it's a visual. It's a picture. It's what God wanted us to see. It's what he wanted us to visualize. We're just, we're just traveling through the history of the Bible. Hebrews 9.11, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with your hands. That is to say, not of this building. He's saying, don't put me in a building. Don't make it about a place. Don't make it about this event or this day or this thing. 
He said, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Listen what he did. Entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, a lot of times we only know the visual of the cross. We don't see the spiritual thing that happened. You see, on that day when Jesus said, it is finished, behind the scenes, our spiritual God walked behind that curtain and put his blood on there and said, it is finished. And God ripped it in half. You say, why? God wants you. Say, what is Christmas all about? This is what Christmas is all about. He became the high priest. He was the sacrifice. He entered in the Holy of Holies to do what he proved all along was standing in the way. Listen to this, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, whom sometimes were far off, far off, say for the longest time, distance, distance. God, Elohim, distance. Them in bondage, distance. Shekinah glory, distance. God says, no more. Sometimes we're made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. You understand why the shepherds on that day and the angels proclaimed, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. He was making the wrongs right. He made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now we come to Revelation. You say, wow. Did you really just take us through the whole Bible of what God's plan was? Yes. Why do we come to Revelation? What did he do this for? Who are we? Why are we here? What is my purpose? Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings. He's king of kings of the earth unto him that loved us. You want to know why he did everything? You want to know everything that we've read? Because he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. See, the next one gives us a title. God gives us a title. You see, a title is a position. I'm a pastor. Because I'm a pastor, I have a role. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be right here, right now. You know why? That's my title. I'm a dad, which literally means Wednesday and Tuesday night, I need to be with my family. You know why? That is my role, to be there with my family. Sometimes we give ourselves a lot of titles. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple maker. I'm this, I'm that. God says, whoa, wait a minute. Let me tell you at the end of the book what you are. Let me remind you why I saved you, why I redeemed you, why I died for you, why I love you so much. And have made us what? Let's do that again. <laughs> and he has made us what? That's odd. It's like, I have never gone around calling myself that in all my life. I have never once walked around and said, I'm Pastor Tony. Greg, I'm, I'm a king here. It's good to have you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you sit there and say, king, that's, that's kind of weird. Priest, whoa, wait a minute, I, I, I've studied the priests, I know what they do. That, that doesn't add up, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I know what I do every week. Unto God and his Father, to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. He made us kings and priests. A king 
is actually interpreted of the kingdom. It's not necessarily the title of the reign of king. You see, let, let me explain it. And I'm actually just now starting my message, but I'm going to do it in four minutes, okay? Just a long history lesson. Because you look at this, and it doesn't make sense without the history. Why does God desire us to worship? He desires a relationship. You say, that's so cliche. Um, Unto him that loved us and washed us from his own, with his own blood. You see, that was sacrifice. You see, everything that he did, he did for one big reason. You say, we say that all the time. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Can I prove why he did this? In Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Wait a minute. I thought we were kings. Oh, yeah. You see, uh, my father's the king of kings. Read the rest of the verse. I don't mean to brag. Just tell you guys how it is. This is what he was saying. And if children, which is what I am, child of the king, I'm an heir of God. Do you know what an heir means? Everything that belongs to him belongs to me. I'm not, I'm not, don't, don't put yourself up like the pride is bad. But I'm here to tell you that my father is the king of kings. And he made it very clear that I am joint heirs with Christ. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. I might go in a sinner, but I come out as the child of the king. You see, if so that we suffer with him, you say, hey, this world is hard. In this world you shall have persecution, because he did, that we may also be glorified together. You see, God was establishing something through the entire principle of this. He was saying, we've been adopted. I've inherited heaven. My father is the king. My home is his kingdom. When I arrive, I am crowned. I take my crown and cast it at his feet. You know why? Because I worship the one that I submit under. He is the king of kings. My entire life wraps around this. You see, just like the woman that anointed the feet of Jesus that we started with, She sat there as a sinner, but she became a child of God. Just like the woman at the well that had been married five times. Don't label me by my past. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am now a king in the kingdom of God. You say, what does that mean? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You have made royalty you see, now 1 Peter 2.9 makes sense. Did you notice that 1 Peter 2.9 is a parallel of Exodus 9, 19 verse 5 when I read it through that about the treasure unto me, a peculiar, and we were reading that, and you said, man, that sounds familiar. It's because, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Not just priesthood, you're a royal priesthood. You've been part of the family, you've been saved. See, through this, it's not only he desires a relationship, he desires our presence. You see, God made it very clear. He says, you say, well, what about all that tabernacle stuff? Oh, it's still here. Sorry to tell you guys, he didn't do away with it. You say, what? No, 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 no. I'm telling you, he did away with it. He rent the veil in half. No, no, no. He did away with the tradition of it, but not the purpose. You see, the presence, God says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, And then the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. 
Do you understand that God desires, when he says, come in there and worship in the presence of God, God wrapped it all up and says, by the way, now I'm still going to show my glory. It's just through you, not in a stinking tent. God didn't do away with the tabernacle. You realize that he desires sacrifice. He said, not at the brazen altar because the, the blood has already been shed. Now it's not the death of a sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what the next word is? Holy. In order to truly worship, I wash my hands in that basin, come before God and worship him for who he is. My life is a sacrifice. You say, what does that look like in my everyday life? Do you realize when we sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to church, I'm putting God first, I'm busy. You know, sometimes we get so distracted this time. We sit there and get so wrapped up in what we have to do. I have to wrap the presents, decorate the cookies, get the house clean for this, and all of a sudden God takes back seats. God says, you know what, you put everything down, come in there. You realize what he did. It was not only that, he desires our prayers. You say, how is that? You go in before the presence of God. Do you know what he wants from you? Do you know what he wants in your worship? Let my prayers set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. We're about to worship. Just brace yourselves, guys. We're about to worship. You see, God is looking for your presence and he says, he desires our fellowship. You see, such an odd thing, and I made a big deal out of that. But you think about what the table was when he established the table. Come in. Stop. Wow, it's, it's dark in here. Yeah, I put a fence around this place. I don't want anything else in here right now. I just want you. I just want you. That's all I want is you. God smells the aroma of our prayers and says, I want that. I want you. He says, stop. Eat. You say, wow, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's because what we want. More than anything, kids, put your phones down. Shut the door. We're not going anywhere. Nobody's coming over here. Sit. Tell me about your day. What's going on in your life? You sit there and say, well, what does he want? He wants you. He wants your presence. He wants to sacrifice your time to say, God, this day is yours. This time is yours. My attention's yours. He wants our prayers to talk to him. This isn't weird. God, I love you. Thank you. You saved me. He desires our fellowship. Just sit. You ever notice how the next thing in Revelation, when he talks about the church, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. You know what he said he wants to do in there? And I will sup with him. You know what he said? Just stop and let it be this right now. You see, we make worship all about us coming before God. And it is, but it's not because God is this vain God that just sits there and beats his chest and say, bow down before me. And it's because God wants you. God wants your time. He wants the, the distractions out. Build a wall. Close the door. Let the only light be Jesus. Let my prayers go up.
eat. And then God said, oh, it gets better than that. Rip down the wall. Because you're a priest. The payment's been made. I get it as the priest of the title of what I have. My job in life is to be in the presence of God. And sometimes we live our whole lives empty and void and vain because you live your life doing everything else but striving and desiring to come into the presence of God. So what does that look like? I just told you. Stop. Sit. Eat. Talk. No distractions. Eyes on the altar. Eyes on the Savior. So what about my sin? God goes over the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, the stuff in there. Yeah, that blood that I used to sprinkle on there. Now the atonement is Jesus Christ. God laid his life down over my sin. It was the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. When God looks down at me, he can put his presence there because he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. Jesus. 